All right, everyone, welcome to Tonecast 110. We have Zach Delvecchio on the show today. We're going to get to that interview in a little bit. Marco, what's happening? Nothing much. We are here. This is actually an intro recorded after the podcast. It's different oh, than man. we normally do you're it. Letting I, people I gave away the secret. You're letting people know, like, we, you can't do the <laughs> intro after the interview. But sometimes stuff happens in the interview that we want to mention ahead of time. So I think that's not a bad idea necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, so it's good, but you know, it's been a good week in the shop. It's kind of later in the week, and we were we were doing some cool custom shop, like gold foil wood top ones, and your strat set was really cool. That like knight in shining armor strat set that we still haven't <laughs> named Excalibur. Maybe I don't Excalibur. know. Excalibur. Yeah, we need to come up with a name. I I even like put it available on the custom shop as a like prototype to be determined name because mm-hmm. <laughs> people are asking about it. We made a video uh, of this new Strat set and it's been really fun to kind of get to know and jam on. Um, but yeah, we, man, I don't know. It's, it's I like, the, name I like Excalibur. That sounds very fancy too because <laughs> um, it does look like, I guess, looks like a knight with the solid chrome nickel covers on there. I'm not, I'm not sure. Model naming is is becoming more and more difficult. You're just like, what do we call it? How do we describe what mm-hmm. it is? It's so much easier if you're like, this is our '50s Strat, or this is our vintage Telecaster set. You know, this is the hot uh, riff set. Yeah, <laughs> it's the. We got really bored one day in the shop and decided to make a new Strat set. Set. Mm-hmm. So yeah. We could come up with like an acronym for that, maybe or something. <laughs> oh, there you go. That <laughs> don't, be... don't ask me to like remember that and then come up with the letters. But, anyways, uh, we we have this uh, yeah we have this internal debate before we get to the, the the public service announcement we have to do every time. Let's let's talk a little <laughs> bit about this. I don't know if it was a debate or if it was uh, just like an, a philosophy on uh, crappy guitars. Can we just say that? Can mm-hmm. we? Uh, um, because we're we're trying to set, I was trying to set up this um, this made in Korea Squire Telecaster, and it had sat in my garage and it had moved, it had gone through a couple moves between houses at, as a like in pieces, and I put it back together several years ago, and it's just been a, it's just been kind of a pain this guitar, it's just been bothering me, and so I put it back together yesterday to kind of get some Gatekeeper demo guitar going, and and it's still. It still is weird. It still has some issues, and it's got this goofy bridge where the strings rest against the the springs for the saddles. And so when they vibrate, the springs ring out, and it's like the worst. It's the worst bridge design ever. Ever. So I'm just like whining to Marco yesterday, <laughs> like Marco, is there is there a point of no return with like these guitars, and and do we just need to get nicer ones? Because um, some of the guitars are like barely guitars, I would say. Yeah, and so so maybe like, what, what's your thoughts on that? Kind of, I know we we almost arrived at somewhat of a conclusion yesterday, but well, what do you think about that whole idea? Well, I think that there's at the end of the day, you shouldn't be beating your head up against the wall, and if it's just getting you frustrated, and for for whatever reason, some things just don't ever line up. But some instruments, I think, are meant just they're just only ever going to be what they can be, and you have to, I guess, identify that point quickly and then determine it's like, okay, do I want to be more frustrated? Because, like, you know, dealing with this instrument is frustration. You're like, do I want to do that to myself or do I want to just like circumvent that? And I think we even went so far as to like, 
well, what if we just put it on the old Craigslist and see if somebody wants to give us something for it? Or I don't know, you know, just putting a price tag on it. Yeah. Somebody that walks in, you know. I will take a couple tacos for this guitar yeah. right, right now if you want to walk in the shop. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe some there's like a creative solution that way to then maybe yield something inspiring that maybe isn't a guitar or, you know, maybe it turns into another guitar. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe somebody will walk in today just like loving it and want to trade for something or I don't know. Yeah, it's it's one of those things and I think we talked about it just because we have both acquired some some higher level instruments, I guess, some nicer guitars mm-hmm. in the last year and a half or so and thinking about what those are and how they're kind of like for us as people that literally our jobs are about all about modding guitars. Mm-hmm. I mean, we basically create stuff that makes you have to tear your guitar apart and we love working on guitars. We love project guitars. We've had several project guitars this summer that we've been featuring on our YouTube series. And I like that. I like working on that stuff. But then there's this point where you just want to enjoy it. You just want to play it. And when you set it up and you make the adjustments to the truss rod or the saddles, everything works and everything responds and improves as opposed to getting worse. And I think that that's where maybe the frustration came in for me is that it's not always the case with certain mm-hmm. guitars. And is, is there a point to, to kind of move on from them? Uh, it seems like there is. Definitely. And it makes it that one magical guitar that may, that you do feel like it doesn't hold you back. It makes it that much more special. But, you know, it's like a, you still, it's like your first guitar. People's first guitar is rarely anything nice, but usually when you're able to hold on to that thing, people are so, it's something they're proud of, especially if they haven't like given up they're like, this is the one that started it all, you know, and to me, that's that's a beautiful thing. And even if it's like, yeah, I don't play this thing anymore because it's terrible and I've got nicer guitars now, but, you know, you, you almost have it as like a, a reminder of your journey or something. But if if it's hurting you, if it's frustrating you, if it's making you want to throw it against the wall, <laughs> maybe just put it in the closet for a while and and give it to your nephew that wants to learn or something or yeah yeah give him the gift of the frustration i guess yeah it's it's just well, weird and then you feel bad you're like why am i so angry at this guitar <laughs> but then at the same time you're like it's because we were talking about people coming in the shop all the time and we have we have some some medium level quality guitars some higher level quality guitars and we have some um some runs some redheaded stepchild <laughs> guitars i guess and and so sometimes we we say well you can play that one if you want but it's got like this this and this and we have to get like here sign this waiver before you play this guitar that if you get cut by the frets or if you get, yeah. you know you, you have to deal with that so i think that that's just been something i've been i've been you know of course i'd love to have all really nice guitars in here that's just not reality in terms of the amount of guitars we need to to do that but it's looking for that baseline of okay well if i get this i may have to do some work at this price point but i i know that it's at least going to be um a workhorse guitar it's at least going to have you know some tuning stability and not have a really weird nut or high frets or whatever and and so there's there seems to be kind of a cutoff dollar amount maybe for that that kind of stuff mm-hmm. at least in in my mind I mean, maybe it's just psychological but past a certain point, it's like, man, that, okay, this is going to be a nicer instrument and less hassle. I can just put in a new set of pickups and do the demos and be happy with it. And if someone walks in the door, I know that they're going to not be distracted by the playability of this guitar and they're mm-hmm. going to be able to just try the pickups out. And 
So, anyways, I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense to anyone that's that's <laughs> listening. But you you have kind of these guitars that you get frustrated with, and you're like, man, I just want to get rid of this thing, or I want to want to do something different, put a new neck on it, or whatever. We're in the process of doing that with a, a guitar right now, and so just just looking for ways to kind of improve it within within whatever budget limitations you might have at the time. Yeah. You know, but and I think that if you do love playing music or and it does give you joy, you owe it to yourself to know what like a nice instrument like that feels like that doesn't <laughs> hold you back. And know that maybe if it isn't right now that if you stay true you, you can get there, you know, you can you can own a nice instrument and, and it's good to know both ways. But I think that's just me being like a guitar enabler. You are a, so you are take so that bad. for what it is. <laughs> and then you kinda like ask me questions that you want me to re-enable you back yeah. sometimes, yep. which I, I totally appreciate your <laughs> your inner workings. Um, and I, I see right through it, but then I still enable you anyways. <laughs> You're like, oh, what, now what do you think about this, though? Yeah. And I'm like, well, actually, yeah. I, I was well hoping you would ask <laughs> yeah, me that. Exactly, exactly. But that's, I mean, that's kind of our job is, right? We kind of make sure that everyone's uh, always chasing chasing guitars, and, and we got to do it ourselves, too. and. Mm-hmm. Um, not go broke in the process, maybe, but uh, yeah, we're just like normal humans. Yes, with we, guitar addictions, we have we have problems. <laughs> we're here on the Tonecast today to admit that we have a guitar problem. <laughs> Both Marco and I do have a guitar problem. Well, before we jump into this interview with Zach, I'll just mention the pickup chooser. We gotta gotta plug that every time. Um, there's a reason we do that. It's because it's a really great great tool for you, the guitar player, to send us a little write up on what you've got and and what you need in, in terms of pickups. And we love seeing your photos of, of the guitar, so you can t- attach a photo to that form. That just lets us know a little bit about what you need, and we'll, we'll plug in some models for you. We'll, we'll give you some suggestions. We'll help you narrow it down. If you go to our product pages, there's tons of choices. So now we can, we can say, hey, if you want this sound, this is your model. So check that out or do more research on that specific one. So we, we actually make it easier for you to go through that decision process um, all we're going to do is give you that suggestion. We're not going to continue to harass you or call you or whatever uh, over and over again. We're just going to say, "Here it is. Go do your research." And we just we just want to help you. And then so that's the that's the point and the the purpose behind the pickup chooser form. So that that'll be a link down to that in the show notes as well. And I think it's time to jump into this interview with Zach. All right, we're here, Tonecast 110, Zach Delvecchio. Zach, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Great to hear from you. It's been, last time I saw you, it was probably two years ago, uh, back when uh, Nam and Anaheim. Back before the world was normal. Exactly. Or before it wasn't normal. I mean, <laughs> yeah, or any less normal. <laughs> yeah, so we're catching you on the road, which is kind of fun. Um, so maybe let's start off just kind of... Uh, Having you do a quick intro about yourself, and then what are you doing on the road currently? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Zach Delvecchio, obviously, and uh, I'm the one of the head of operations for J Rocket Audio Designs, and I have my own consulting company where I help out numerous brands across the industry and across the world, helping them with product design, marketing, branding, uh, technology. When I'm not doing that, though, I'm a luthier, building my own custom instruments, and I act as a touring side musician, uh, playing guitar and bass for different Nashville and regional artists. Very cool. And so you're based in Nashville, correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, cool. So where are you headed on the bus today, and, and who are you playing for? 
Today, I am on the way to Wisconsin. We're playing our first festival of a two-week run uh, with an artist named Hannah Wickland. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Very nice. Yeah. So, so life on the road, and and how do you kind of juggle your other responsibilities, and then you get called to to go on a, a run of uh, tour dates? How do you kind of uh, mix that that thing up? It's definitely a juggling act, but luckily, thanks to good hot spots in the internet, I can live a double life where <laughs> working on the tour bus all day, uh, you know, working off the laptop, working off my cell phone. So then you travel all day in the van or the bus, or you fly out. And then get to the show, you play the show, and nobody knows the wiser. Yeah, nice. Multitask, I guess that's the key in life, is, is multitasking. Yes. Uh, and that is luckily my greatest gift, I'm pretty sure, is the ability to juggle about 10,000 things at the same time. A, a gift and a curse, probably, at the same time, right? Oh, yes, that's for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, since we last uh, talked in person, it was, as you mentioned before, the NAMM show 2020 right before everything uh, went went nuts in the world. Um, so I think we're going to just talk right off the bat. I know that this is a, something that I wanted to talk to, and, and I think Marco will kind of ask you a couple questions here about the NAM show, um, the most recent NAM show, because I, I think we're curious ourselves of um, how this last show went, but Marco, maybe you can kind of kind of lead this section, I, I think, just asking some questions here yeah, for Zach. totally. And I know that, so the last one that, that we were at was in Anaheim. And so this most recent one was that in Nashville. I always seem to remember the the wrong show at the wrong time. Um, so, but was it the one in Nashville? And so it's like a completely different layout, right? Yes. And the, the most recent show was in LA though. It oh, okay. just was a much different configuration than usual. Like we heard that they shut down, like they didn't have the basement, which is where we were when we were there. And is that like, is that true? And was it? Yes, it was very interesting, especially this being my 20 something, almost 30th NAM show at this point collectively. Wow. They, they closed down. There was no basement. The hall, the main hall was where actually you were getting your badges, which is an indication also just how few vendors were there, mm -hmm. that they didn't do any of the outside load-ins or things like that. It was a very sparse show. Uh, especially for the LA show where, you know, typically, for example, I'm running around in primal test is uh, me running around like a chicken with his head cut off for <laughs> four days straight. You know, usually you have 150, 200 meetings and they reduced this show down to three days and I was able to accomplish everything I needed in about a day and a half and ended up not even going the third day, mm -hmm. which is outrageous because usually I am, down to the wire by the last day, and I still didn't usually accomplish everything I'm trying to do. Wow. So definitely uh, almost kind of like, a, I, you know, I guess this is an AMP show, but maybe you think you, you're like, this is a different thing now. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you think you still got what you wanted to accomplish, but, you know, do you think that, I feel like there was still a lot of coverage and there was still people wanting to make it seem like there was a lot of, big stuff happening as far as like on YouTube. And I know that like Ernie Ball really had a lot of cool stuff to, to drop, but you know, absolutely. do you think well, this, it's going to make a comeback? I mean, do you think this next no. one is going to be like, you know, off the charts kind of a thing, or it's just kind of going to be a different thing now? I think Nam is at a very interesting crossroads now where they're going to have to learn to pivot because I, unfortunately, COVID, I believe, has really done them in. You know, the first show 
after COVID in Nashville was pretty terrible. It was about the same size as your typical regional local show. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year was, for this being the big show, so to speak, was not much better, though the attendance was excellent, uh, which was a nice surprise. And people were very excited to see it. But I believe the real issue that NAM is existing now, or that exists for them, I should say, is people learn to adapt. All of a sudden, all these brands that had two years to say, I don't want to spend $10,000 in LA this year, now luckily realize, hey, we could spend the same money doing digital ads. We can go and hire 20 influencers for an eighth of price and get five times the exposure. And I think that has created a real hole in the armor that NAM had, where NAM which used to be the great unveiling events of the year for us now are more symbolic time frames of the year where now we know, you know, we know just January and summertime are like the big release dates, but it doesn't have to be, we don't have to be at NAM anymore to be relevant is what this really told me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to me because I know that several of what I would say are like peer companies for us, which a lot of these companies that started in, you know, the the 2005 to 2008, nine range, there's a lot of people that started businesses and and many of them have taken off and done really well. And a lot of them are just like, yeah, we're not going to NAM anymore. Like we're done. And, yeah. and some of it's because they have big dealer networks. And so you're kind of like, well, the only reason to go to NAM is maybe like you're saying for the meetings or for the networking. Um, and in our case, we were like, it it was looked at for us as kind of like, okay, we're going to take a big next step and kind of get our brand out there a little bit further and and push it out. And then, of course, it was like we get back and everyone was like, yeah, at NAM, you know, we'll talk in two months, we'll talk in three months. And then by the time we were supposed to have those conversations, the um, the industry was shutting down, essentially. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point. And I, I think NAM as a whole tried to shift and they shifted towards there became a disparity between the connection between the people actually attending the show and what NAM, I believe in my opinion decided to try and do was instead of focusing, which the initial response of NAM and the initial goal, as you know, was entirely to have, like you said, vendors connect with dealers and do sales and things like that. But what started happening is I believe they saw what Comic-Con and CES and these other conventions were doing and said, we're more focused on driving as many people in. Now, the trade-off is, and this is kind of that marketing 101 problem in 2022, is they can say, yeah, look at this. We had 400,000 people at the show, which is great. You had 400,000 engagements. At the same time, how many are realistically interacting with you who's paid you know, $10,000 to be here versus actually creating an ROI off of that? And they, because they made that decision to go much more into that CES style where here are the shows and let's make this engaging, they are actually detracting from what the original value of what NAM was. So you're right to that point. Now, now a dealer says, well, I can just phone my dealers now. I, I don't have to work with them. The vendors now are, have that ability to connect in so many other ways that if you're not growing your network, and like you said, even if you do, it might be a month or two after, which is you know typical. But at the same time, now you could say, well, what, why did I have to go spend $6,000 to do that? I could have just called this person and we could have had the same song and dance and I could have had a whole lot more inventory. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think about that show and I, I, 
I convinced like two good friends to pay their own way to get down there. We we had a house in LA for a week, uh, rented a house, and then and it was cheap. It wasn't it was cheaper than a hotel. So it wasn't like we were living. <laughs> there was nothing in right. the house, right? It wasn't it wasn't like we're living this lifestyle for anyone who's wondering. <laughs> um, but we had that. Then we were in the basement, so we had the cheapest booth. We we got the crate there as cheaply as possible. Like um, we did. 2020 NAM on shoestring budget, and it still was $15,000 to be there. Right. And that's a good deal. And that, But then at the same time, as a consultant, I argue and say, if you gave me a $15,000 marketing budget, yeah, we exactly. could have gotten you an ROI that's 100 times better. And that's not because mm. of a, an attest to my abilities. That's just the reality of the marketing tools we now have available and the ability we're able to target people that like you said, you can have 100,000 people walk past you all day long. You didn't get 100,000 sales. Right. You didn't get 100,000 right. new followers, but you spend 15 grand and then shake your head saying, well, the industry dictates I'm supposed to be here because if I'm not here, I'm not real. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think that pressure has broken now because of COVID. There's just no, there's no need. And now Nam has to figure out what to do to fix this problem because now the, the first show after Nam, everyone expected to be bad. Nobody was really expecting anything. The LA show this year was supposed to be the real here we are moment. We are back. And if this is what we are back is, is this is still a very quarter powered show. And again, does a brand want to take another $15,000 risk to say, but this year the third show is going to be better or you say, <laughs> screw it. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to give this budget to my marketing guys and where I'm going to go hire for $15,000. You can go hire every influencer that matters in our industry and get far more views, far more clicks, far more engagement. And you didn't have to go home, go leave home for a week. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, I just wonder about that because it is that like, maybe it's the fear of missing out or you're like, Oh, if I'm not there, uh, you know, and, and I really, that was kind of my mindset. It's like, if we don't do this, um, you know, we're, we're going to take the next step and this is the way. And it used to be, it used to be the way, right? And there were so many stories of these older companies going to NAM and being off and running and, and forever changed. And, and I still think, I still think that can happen, but I just don't think it happens on the scale that it used to. Well, and I, I completely, I completely agree. You know, I still conduct my best business. I still stand by face to face time and actual real life engagements always going to be better than any, you know, instant message or email or phone call. But at the same time, it's at, it's at what cost. And I think the issue now is Yam, uh, Yam excuse me, Nam has established for you know, almost a hundred years, or I believe over a hundred years, this is the thing. So of course it's like saying it's almost like an, an issue similar to what Disney world do. You know, you're the known as this, and if all of a sudden Disney world started doing R rated content, you just alienated an audience that was almost a hundred years old of saying, but this is for family fun. And this is what I thought. So now the issue is the industry is so used to associating what we know Nam as versus this is just the new world. And unfortunately, there was not a nice, gentle fade out. This was a just a bludgeoning to the head. And here we are. <laughs> yeah, really, though, it, it's forever changed. Yeah. And um, yeah. And it won't, you can't put it back in the bottle. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's why for Nam, that's why Nam now has to figure out, you know, unless they want to go the way of the dodo, how are they going to actually make a change where they can get the same use that they used to. And at the same time, they're not, you know, they're not going to die. Otherwise, if they don't do a pivot soon, which I'm sure they are attempting to, they, they will just fade out like everybody else, or they will become almost more like a union. Like they, 
try to do being a member and the members have perks and things like that. But if that doesn't happen, they're really not going to get much further than they are. And unfortunately it's like, it's like the same thing like Sears. Sears refused to pivot into the digital world because they said, we're Sears, you know, we're the biggest department store in the world. We don't need the internet. And you know, now all of a sudden they're on chapter 11 every other day. (laughs) Yeah. And what are those, I just, just before we go to the next section here, I was just thinking like, what are those poor guys that go around in the suits and they have the DB meters? What are they going to do for work now? (laughs) I know. Well, hopefully Disney's hiring for <laughs> yeah, them because yeah, they, they, I worry about those guys. They can, they can stand on like Splash Mountain and be like, you're too loud. Don't scream. I'm <laughs> having fun. We're going to shut you down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to turn this down. You're at uh, 71 decibels. This is outrageous. Yeah. 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 You don't have to worry about Freeman not being able to let you touch your own things that you were successfully able to do for many days before that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were like covertly setting up our booth. I think we did. We didn't have any assembly required necessarily, but we we did a very fast. Uh, oh, look, it's already put together. Don't need any help, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But they'll still send you a bill for it. So yeah, don't worry. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, uh, what you were saying about the NAM and having to pivot, like uh, that's kind of a good segue into my next thing. Um, you you did mention you're playing with Hannah Wickland, and I know that I've seen her playing Andersons and stuff before. And to me, Anderson has always kind of cut their own path for sure. And I think. The year we were at NAM, they were even in the basement, like with us, you know. And he came by Absolutely. the booth, and it was really cool. But to me, they're a company that's kind of doing it right. And I mean, you know, what are some examples, or what do you? Who else do you think is doing it right, or do you have anything to say about Anderson, or you know, because yeah, they've I mean, always been Anderson, relevant. Yeah, I think Anderson's a perfect example because Anderson is one of those companies that is an industry staple. They've been around the block for so long that, yeah, they might not be a Gibson or a Sir or anything like that, but they have such a brand that they've created and cultivated over the years. And I think, honestly, they are one of the ideal models of what the definition of a successful boutique business is in this industry, where they don't have to grow any bigger than they need to. They don't need to work any harder than they do because they have their customer base, they have their reputation, they have their consistent sales. And I think that is the real challenge. The way I look at the industry is, is like that two-tier structure where you're either the boutique brand who can run a strong, successful business that takes care of their own, takes care of their employees, takes care of their families, or you try to say, I want more. I want to go into the PRS stage. I want to become another sir. I want to join that next club. But in order to get to that next stage, you know that's that's considerable growth, but that's a question that any business, regardless of the industry, suffers from: is do how big do we really need to be? And so, for a company like Anderson, which is that perfect example, they are they're exactly where they need to be. They are an industry leader. They're a thought leader. They make these qualities of products that are always working. But they don't. They're not focused saying, "Well, John Sir does you know tens of millions of dollars in sales. We need to be them." They have their life. And I think that's what all businesses really need to ask themselves is where do we actually need to be versus where do we, you know, look at these other people with green envy and say, we wish we were those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of like the more money, more problems thing, right? Where it's like, well, if you do, and that's, that's a struggle we have, you know, transparently is like, well, we've got kind of past the, well past the hobby stage. We have, we have a, a business that's working and that's growing and that's, um, you know, providing really cool stuff. And, and for us, it's like, well, what is the next step? Is it 5% more sales? Is it doing this, doing that? And we're working on stuff behind the scenes, but it always is that, that chase. And I think that's a good point you bring up, just not getting caught up in, 
in that chase and, and kind of, uh, you know, just that pursuit of like, well, so what if there's a few more bucks in the bank account, if you're, uh, you're, you're all gray, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you're losing all your hair or whatever. <laughs> yeah, ex- well, ex- exactly. You know, and, and then we have come like rockets, a perfect example of a, of a company that's the, on the in-between zone where, you know, J rocket is easily a top 20 effects pedal brand in terms of the boutique world, but we're not in terms of size as say a walrus or a wampler or jhs or keely but we're one notch below them but we're definitely much 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 larger than anybody below us and so for rocket now we're entering the stage where we say well the the, the bottle's open we need to move towards this next stage of growth because now now we're in the awkward tween zone where you can't go backwards but in order to go forward, we need to be far more aggressive. You need to increase your sales, increase your dealer base, get your marketing stronger. Like now you need to enter. So now we're actually in that very pivotal evolving stage where we've been a staple brand for so long. But now it's the question is, but how do we get to that next year? How do you keep growing even when the market doesn't want to grow? That's not that's no longer a, a, a responsibility. It is it is paramount to say we need to break through all these walls at all costs. Yeah, and so I know that everything in our experience and other people we've talked to is kind of kind of somewhat hit a wall in in June, like the second week of June, probably with the interest rate hike or whatever. Maybe just customer confidence and spending. We we kind of hit a wall in in terms of. Uh, just everything, and and I think that it's like, what do you do going forward? You're mentioning like pivoting and adjusting, and and like the new reality of kind of maybe the economy and the industry. What what are some things that that you're working on with J Rocket right now to kind of uh, fight back, if you will? Yeah. So a perfect example is audience attention. That's a huge thing in the pedal world because you can have a great product and you might get some nice virility for a while. But it fades out. So unless you couple it with one of two ways, incredible aggressive marketing constantly or a new release because a new release always garners new attention. So, you know, for Rocket, for example, we try to go on a two-month schedule for releases where every two months we have a brand new product where no matter what we're doing, uh, there's something out there that we can create new engagement, new news, new people. Uh, everything in between because for us we get those boosts every time we do it you get a new dealer base you get a new distributor that's interested because every moment of great pr is strong for a new release is actually stronger than us just reposting the same photos over and over again or another video or another demo of an existing product so a lot of pedal companies that's a very common strategy that's not just something that's unique to us and that's why you see these brands that you say, oh my God, like all the all the time, there's just, here's a new thing, here's a new thing. How do they do it? But that's why they have to do it. They have to do it to maintain audience attention span and to keep the dealer base engaged so people don't think, oh, well, they had that product five years ago and here they are. Because even if you go to a big box location, for example, that's what they want to see too, is it's not just what you're doing now and where you've been, it's but where are you going that justifies us saying, you know, we want to go put a massive PO with you, but we could go to a equally larger company where we know we're going to be able to get the results and have the engagement and the audience response that we're hoping to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to stay relevant. I definitely agree with the attention span being like really short. And I mean, and it's not that, you know, maybe, you know, the consumer is what the consumer will be, but the fact is that there's just so much that can be overloaded on our plates at any given time that, you know, you just want to be in the mix so that you're remembered and, and that you're sustainable. But it seems like that these little like intuitions and thoughts that you have, 
I mean, you probably had to learn along the way and, and, you know, and it's not anything it's, you know, that it's the thing that has made you enabled to like do this kind of thing. And, and that's like a skill. And do you feel like it was a long, hard road learning all of these things? I wouldn't say it was a hard road, but it's been a long road. And it's, that's the, that's the real challenge where mm-hmm. working towards every day, you're constantly evaluating the market. You're constantly looking at, you know, what trends are happening, but the difference of jumping on a trend versus is something, a sustainable product. You know, those are the challenges that you have to continually ask yourself because, you know, th- at the end of the day, we're not, you know, doing missile wings or blenders, you know, <laughs> we're, we're doing something that we're basically playing off technology that was derived from the fifties to late seventies. And then we keep acting like our version is new. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's, it's a silly, it's a silly thing. That's just something our industry does, but it's the same. It's like a fishing pole, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, a fishing pole is still a fishing pole. And it's been around for thousands of years. You know, how much more advanced can one be than the other? Yet it's not my problem to think that way. It's my problem to say, how do I convince somebody that this new fishing pole or product is as great the newest latest thing that you need to have mm-hmm. versus oh well my rig has been okay for the last five years i don't really need to worry about that new overdrive mm-hmm. yeah definitely okay so we got to ask every guest the desert island question this is your desert island rig um so guitar amp and pedal what would you take with you if you were being dropped onto a desert island via parachute and a little box with all your gear. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You know, for me, the irony is is I I like a very clean setup. So for me, it'd just be a 59 standard Les Paul, a 69 Super Lead Plexi with an Echo Plex in between. Mm. Maybe if I was feeling fancy, I'd throw a tone bender into that combination or a fuzz face. But other than that, with those three things, there's a not much you can't do. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so you, I think you win the award of, of, cause we always kind of like harass each of our guests because you, you gave like the straightest answer on that. You knew exactly what you take and there was no like faltering. And most everyone else comes up with excuses uh, about like keeping another piece of gear there or they can't, you know, they can't make a decision. It's like, well, I can't remember the movie, but it's like you chose poorly or is that, <laughs> is that, <laughs> what, what is that? What, what movies? Anyways, uh, just thinking about like, you were like, this is what I want. This is what I would take. And that's, that's awesome. So I think that that sounds like a fantastic, uh, a fantastic rig. It's, clean. Obviously. it's loud. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunately a little, a little generic in the great schemes of things that, you know, I can get deep in the world. If you know you really wanted me to to flex how deep my knowledge can go, but I need a, a Diaz CD100 that's running at this plate voltage and blah blah blah. But it's like at the end of the day, like there's a reason. There's a reason you know Jimmy Page had no problem running around with that kind of equipment, and it yeah. seemed to work well for him. <laughs> and and I think that's the that's the part. You don't have access to the uh, the forums too while you're on the island, so you can't like brag about your gear or you can't say this is a superior 59 versus the other ones or whatever the <laughs> whatever the uh, the PAF guys do <laughs> when they're on well, the exactly exactly they always, everybody always has something to say i mean even that's another funny thing about this industry no matter what you do somebody's going to say something <laughs> negative and you just have to accept it it really doesn't matter it doesn't matter you can you know uh, Chris, Chris Van Tassel, the owner, one of the owners of Rocket, said it perfectly the other day. He's like, we could literally sell a brick of gold for one hundred ninety nine dollars, and people would be like, well, it's the wrong color gold. That's uh, actually about twenty four carat. It looks like twenty two. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it really does not matter. But like, 
people on the internet have no problems tearing you a new one just because they feel like their opinion matters. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I think that's just part of the fun of being in the art world is that you just have to give your everybody like a big eye roll constantly <laughs> because at the end of the day, the amount of actual movers and shakers in the industry versus the wayside guys that all have opinions is staggering. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also kind of what makes it fun. It's just... You know, it's just a quirk. It's no different than being <laughs> in the high-end watch market or art yeah. or wine. Or, yeah. you know, when you just deal with something that's such a deeply personal, subjective subject, it just always, it always raises controversy because everybody thinks they're right and everybody thinks their opinion's the most valid. Yeah. And that's okay because at the end of the day, you can have a $100,000 rig where you can go and have, you know, like Jack, you know, Jack White, who can have the most minimal setup of all time and you're not going to take away either one's success or you know who's right versus who's wrong and so for me like i'm an incredibly opinion your person like i'm always the person that it, but i keep them in the thought bubble because at the end of the day if it works for you it works for you like who am i to say oh well that's the that's the wrong tube screamer it doesn't have you know the JRC 4558 chip in it, it has the other one. So therefore it's an <laughs> Now, if it works for you and it sounds great, you know, God bless, go play and have fun. <laughs> At the end of the day, like it's about enjoying yourself and actually making music. And if you feel like that's how you sound at your best, then guess what? That's the best answer and the most right answer. And mm-hmm. don't listen to anybody else. Yeah, that's good. And, and I think too, like internally, we're, we're very driven here to, to accomplish our mission of, of providing good sounding pickups and inspiring pickups and, and a lot of people just don't know what goes into creating that. And we don't really, we're not one of those companies that's sort of like, we have the, you know, the purest copper wire. We have this, we have that. And we're literally just like, how are we going to get to the end goal of, of inspiring a musician? And that's what we do. And we don't, we really just don't brag about it. We just get our work done. And um, we, we build for a lot of people in the industry that we get zero credit for. But at the end of the day, we have we have our crew here that's like, yeah, we did that. That's a good job, and we made these people happy. And that's like that's kind of what makes us tick here for sure. But I think that's the right way to do it. I think that should be the model that everybody in the industry should adopt. Is how do we just be proud of what we do every day in a way that you can go to sleep saying we didn't cut any corners, we did the best work we can today, and we actually made people happy and inspired to want to pick up their instrument. And if you can accomplish that as a manufacturer, you've done your job. Anything else is just the erroneous clouding of judgments and, you know, ideas that we just put in our heads. Because that's what we do as humans and as business owners and manufacturers. You know, there's always more. There's always bigger. There's always better. But I think at the end of the day, it's creating a product that you're actually genuinely proud of. That is worth more, in my opinion, than any dollar amount that can come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a good takeaway from all this and an excellent point of, you know, I guess we were talking about a lot of stuff, but really at the end of the day, you know, that is, that's key and you should just be stoked on your rig and stuff like that. And if that we get to be a part of it is, is a cool thing, I think. Um, but do you have any, I mean, that's kind of all we got. Do you have any questions for us or anything you're just raring to ask us or anything like that? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so tell me, tell me about how. Uh, what's the what's the word from the pickup universe right now? How are you seeing that market right now adjusting? What are you seeing as trends that are coming on the market right now, or what are you seeing that you feel like as a business you guys need to be adopting to right now? Just from seeing how you know, culture and social media is now adjusting preferences, things like that. 
Yeah, I think um, I've been increasingly frustrated with social media um, and just the the lack of reach and kind of trying to figure out new algorithms from Google and Instagram and Facebook and trying to keep up with the people who genuinely do want to see our content, but the digital giants kind of control who shows that or who gets to see it at the end of the day. Um, so it's it's somewhat of like you're, you're kind of... Uh, at the mercy of some of these companies, it feels like. And so as the industry is changing, there's obviously a lot more, you know, since we started, there's a lot more companies out there. And and we really have figured out kind of uh, where our niche is and even some creative things that we do behind the scenes are kind of uh, way different left field stuff than than a lot of people are doing. And that's that's kind of helped us stand out in some some cases like our Ricochet pickup or, um, you know, our, our version of the gold foils looking for, ways to kind of keep keep creativity at the forefront and i think as long as we're as long as we're remaining inspired then we're true kind of true to who we are if we try to become something that we're not um, then we're we're veering off course if that makes sense so i think as we look for our our place continued in the industry we kind of have been doing this long enough we kind of know what what we are and what we offer and and it's just figuring out how to communicate that better, how to, to find the people that sort of get what we do, um, that that want a practical solution, and maybe just maybe a little less fancy on the uh, the the surface or the edges. And we're just trying to uh, just trying to be really helpful. And I think that's that's an ever changing thing, but it's something we just we want to stay true to, if that makes sense. Yeah. And- yeah. No, I think that's a fantastic thing and a goal to have. And we no, I just had a little uh, little amendment there too. But you know, and and at the same time, wanting to be able to, I mean, it's still a small crew here, and we're just trying to really, you know, it's like how the computer chips and capacitors and stuff keep getting smaller and smaller, but they're able to do more and more things. It's like we're we've been able to maintain a really small, like kind of skeleton crew, but we're able to do a lot. Or I mean, and I'm just even looking at things like I can remember couple of years back and you know I look at what our output was and now I look at what our output is like as far as pickups and getting stuff out the door and tighter quality control and finding easier more efficient ways to do things to then make more things it like to me that is like a big part of it too and and but you have to juggle all of these aspects of it too so it you know it, for me it always is like that and I'm always like okay, that looks good, but, you know, we can do better. Or if I see something, I mean, there's so many different kinds of pickups and little things with flat work moving and, oh, hey, this magnet isn't this way or, I don't know, it's it's a whole can of worms, but it, it's one that we've we've maintained and I'm glad I get to do these kinds of things. So it's... A, yeah, absolutely. It's, and that's the thing, there's always going to be more and there's always going to be new, but, you know, what is actually true to the art form that, you're crafting mm-hmm. is the real question. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's good old fun and it gets frustrating sometimes when the showroom gets hot and you're messing with like an output jack that's not working or I don't know, but it this the thrill of getting it right is is so uplifting, I think. So <laughs> yeah, we get to I agree. we get to talk guitars all day, which is is definitely fun. Um but Mar- Mar- Marco's right, it is hard work and it, it's a lot of a lot of challenges and a lot of expectations, I think, too, is one of those things of managing expectations from the companies that we work with and that we work for. And, hey, I need this thing now and, or I need this here. And we've got 16 different requests at any given hour and we've got to satisfy as many of those as we can. So some of it's just kind of the just maintaining somewhat of a, 
um, like a positive mental health or good attitude just to just to knock some of this stuff out because mm-hmm. it's definitely like for me it's been you know it's been a, certainly a roller coaster from from the day one starting this business and going through all these seasons and navigating the pandemic and and changing you know employees and all the things that that kind of hit hit us all the time and you know this working for different companies it just there's never there's never a lot of consistency in terms of certain dynamics and you've got to continue to kind of fight back and and keep doing what you do and um it's a lot it's a lot of work i'm not gonna lie you know it's to to kind of make it all work but it's um it's cool we hear we hear from customers and people walk in the door and they're like man i I love my guitar now i'm not gonna sell it I'm, i'm excited about what what this guitar does for me and um you know you guys you guys saved saved my tone basically um and so yeah and that's to me is like there's no better compliment than a person being like you've made me feel better about my instrument like that to me is the, such a rewarding feeling where you know like even like when i set up a guitar for somebody and they say oh this is I, my guitar's never played like this before and it's like wow like that's awesome mm-hmm. like it's not again not a test to necessarily go with the abilities of like what whoever's executing that but the fact that you're like wow I brought you joy and made you more inspired to do a thing that you're passionate about just by the nature of this is the side of the fence that I'm passionate about is it's, it's never gets old. It never gets old. And it, it makes up for all of the junk that we have to endure on a daily basis. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I do have one kind of closing question for you, Zach, just kind of what is the, the culture slash scene. I know um, in Nashville there, like I know a lot of people are still moving there, obviously just regular folks and then musicians, but I'm seeing a lot of companies actually relocating to Nashville to be closer to the action, if you will. So kind of what is the, what is the vibe in Nashville? I see, I keep seeing new guitar stores popping up. I see, uh, like I said, companies relocating, thinking maybe that that will be the the ticket to growth. And what is, what is kind of the, the pulse there? Yeah, in my opinion, Nashville is now the new LA and New York for the industry, particularly in our side. Like, I lived in LA, I'm from New York. And I could say, as much as those scenes are great and there's so many musicians, Nashville, it's almost truly a bad joke. You can walk into any place, and seven of the 10 people in there will be in the music industry as an artist, a builder, a the business side of the music industry, but they will be in the music industry. And I've never experienced that anywhere else. So, you're right. It's seeing all these brands that are coming down and just setting roots. It's just the people are there now and it's such a growing city. And I think that's the thing that makes it interesting is, you know, I love Nashville for the playing side, but as a person, you know, I'm definitely a much more of a coastal personality, but for the industry, it it really does not get better right now. It's just, it's alive and the community is, caring and about each other and supportive of each other and you can't ask for anything more so it's than, not than that yeah so it's not necessarily like territorial or like oh you you're the new company in town and we got to watch out for these guys is it is it pretty pretty welcoming as far as like you know essentially like competition maybe is is dropping in to your city at any given point you got like oh there's three more guitar companies working here now or what's kind of that been like with the new guys versus the old guys yeah well the nice thing is because we live in a global world your location doesn't really matter anymore 
you know, having Sano in town doesn't stop Warwick across the street from selling what they sell, and it doesn't stop Rocket from 20 minutes down the road doing what they're doing, because it doesn't matter. We're, we're dealing with global communities nowadays. The interesting thing, though, to that point is Nashville is very much like that small town everybody grows up in, where everybody knows everybody's business, everybody knows what's going on constantly. But if you're a good person slash business and you are in the community and you're not you know, being that person, so to speak, mm-hmm. there's a seat for you at the table. Now, the opposite is true, too, though. Like if you start screwing up and you start seeing all these, you know, you start seeing all the things that the forums are complaining about and you start to breed that personality, it, just like in small town mentality, you're now the talk of the town and not in a good way. Mm-hmm. But people are excited to embrace you into the bubble that is Nashville. If you're coming in from the eyes of wanting to be a part of the community and caring and have something actually to say and contribute, then you are taken with arms wide open right from the beginning. Yeah, that's that's cool. Hmm. I mean, that's that seems like a refreshing take, I guess, in terms of, of some places are like, oh, what are you doing here kind of thing. And now it's yeah. like, oh, OK, well, just just don't be a turd and then you'll, you'll be fine kind of thing. Right. Yeah, Um, that's exactly it. Just don't be that guy and you're going to be fine. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's really good insight kind of on Nashville. I think that that's always the, the musicians or maybe even now the companies kind of like, wow, what if, what if things were there? What would it be like? And that's certainly an interesting perspective in terms of uh, what, what Nashville has to offer and kind of how it may be, more welcoming than other cities around the, around the country. And I know even for us, just being in the Northwest, we've gone to like some shows in Seattle and it's kind of like, what are you guys doing here? And, um, and not everyone, but there's a handful of people that, that, you know, you're kind of like, Oh, you're in Lawler and TV Jones territory, or you're, you're in Warmoth territory or whatever. And it's like, we're not, we're not trying to destroy, (laughs) come and conquer your territory. We're just showing, showing what we do. So it's, it, that's kind of interesting. And that's, that's cool for us too, is, um, you know, as we, as we do shows in different locations or we go visit different places, it's nice to know kind of where, where it's easier to just talk gear and, and hang out and be guitar players. Like we really are at the core. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's where I love about Nashville. You can talk guitars with everybody any day of the week, all time, but nobody, nobody looks. In fact, it's the opposite. Like I have actually had in my decade plus career in this industry, I have had more enjoyable experiences in Nashville with other brands than anywhere else. Because now it's like, oh, like the other day, like, oh, the guys from Rev, who I'm great friends with. They're like, oh, you want to go get lunch? And then the day after, you go with another amp company. And then you're like, oh, I want to go see my buddy who's at Gibson Custom Shop. And, you know, it's almost like every day is Nam there because now it's no longer just like, oh, I only get to see this guy for 20 minutes today. It's like, oh, no, we're friends. Like, want to go to lunch? What are you doing tomorrow? And that's something that I will never take for granted because it's just so special compared to how it is in all these other spots where, like you said, it's, oh, you know, these this crew hangs out with these guys and that's it. In Nashville, it's just everyone and everyone. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, I appreciate that insight. I appreciate you being on the, the tone cast today, Zach. Um, thanks for joining us on the road. I guess we're helping kill some time here as you're traveling, but, uh, but yeah, thanks, <laughs> for, thanks for being on the show today. We'll do this again soon. I'd love to kind of d- take a deeper dive into the pedal world and kind of, uh, get your, your take on that as well as some other, other topics that we didn't get to today, but thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for having me. And uh, as always, it's great hearing from you both. Yeah. Thanks again, Zach. Thank you. I'll take care. See ya.